Hey, it's me again. Um, hey, uh, so like I said, uh, and like Brian said, I'm Jason, and I left, I left my coffee down here. So, anyhow, whoo, this morning, I want to talk to you about a little incident in November of 1981, which I joked in the last service uh, where the, the median age is about 60, that most of them weren't born yet, but I can't say that here because a lot of you weren't. So, um, you know, in 1981, there was a little incident in Minnesota. In fact, it happened um, after 10 days. Some of you might even remember this incident, 10 days of heavy snowfall. And, and it, it was an incident at a little place called the Metrodome at the stadium where the Minnesota Twins and Vikings play. And, he, and it's so crazy. Here, I just got to show it to you. Let, check this out. We've got some exclusive footage from the Metrodome last night. Snow leaking in the roof, and the roof collapsed this morning. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> now here, some of you may know, that was the first of three times that's happened at the Metrodome. Okay, the roof has collapsed three times there. I'm sure they're working on it. Um, but... You know, and it's crazy to think about the millions and millions of dollars they spent on that roof. And all it took was some snowfall continuously, little by little, for 10 days straight. And it just wiped it out. Well, and, and why does it fall? Well, of course, the law of gravity, right? The stress of the weight on the T-fall roof just collapsed it right there. All it took was a little bit of stress and the pressure that it put on the roof. And it just caved in. You know what? If I'm honest, that's what life feels like sometimes for me. A little pressure over a long period of time, and it, things just seem to kind of cave in. And this, this season's kind of a stressful season for me. Um, you know, they, they say that, uh, they, they joke that pastors, one of pastors' least favorite seasons is the holidays, um, you know, because it's our job to make people feel excited about Christmas, and we love it so much. Um, but, you know, one of the things is, is that there's a lot of stuff that we do during this season. My wife, she's amazing. She's a planner. She likes to have everything written out. And so what she did was she wrote out our next 14 days. And my response was, <laughs> you know, and she's like, don't freak out. And I'm like, you know, because I looked at every day and it's like, and I'm like, oh, Jesus and stuff. You know, and she's like, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Take deep breaths. Think happy thoughts. You know, like start kind of like shaking and going into my happy place, you know. Uh, and, and I think we all experience seasons of stress in our lives. And sometimes it's an overwhelming stress like in a moment. But sometimes, like I said, it's just a little bit of buildup over a long period of time. It's just kind of lurking there. And all of a sudden you just snap, you know, and your friends or your spouse are like, what just happened? And you're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and it could be, in this season especially, it could be the stress of facing this holiday for the first time without the person that you've always had the holiday with. And it, and it could be that kind of stress. 
You know, it could be work stress. It could be school stress. It could be, I mean, family stress, right? It could be 14 days away from where your in-laws come over stress. I mean, not, not my in-laws, but yours, okay? Um, you know, it could be a health situation. It could be expectation stress. It could be the kind of like, hey, I'm such and such years old, and I figured by, by this age I'd have this accomplished and this accomplished and this accomplished. And you're looking at your life saying, I, I, I haven't done what I wanted to do. Right? And, and what do we do? How do we manage it? Well, some of the ways that we, that we manage it, some of the unhealthy ways that we manage it, at least, are really easy to spot. You know, pills, alcohol, you know, whatever. Like any, any sort of that kind of substance type stuff. But there's also the, the other way that we manage it. And, it, you know, it's super uh, healthy. Um, we just, you know, don't talk about it. We just avoid it. Because, you know, um, getting stabbed by the elephant in the room with their tusks isn't really happening. Nothing's really going on. It's just, I just, I'm fine. Everything's good. We're okay. Each of these ways of handling this kind of stress, or any kind of stress, have the same end result. The roof caves in eventually. And, you know, uh, I want to try to, this morning, look at a case study of how we might be able to go about handling, managing stress in the midst of this amazing Christmas season and experience it for what it is. And so I want to encourage you to grab your Bible or reach out in the, in the racks in front of you and grab those Bibles uh, to turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 7. It's on page 685 in the Bibles in front of you. And, uh, you know, if you don't own a Bible and you're interested in the teachings of Jesus and le- learning about God, we encourage you to grab one of those Bibles and take it uh, as our gift to you. We've got plenty more. We can replace them. Um, but Isaiah chapter one, or excuse me, chapter seven, verse one. I want to remind you. I love to remind you of this. The Bible is not a book of uh, collected fairy tales or teachings. It has teachings in it, but that's not the point and the purpose. The point and the purpose is it's written from real people to real people, from a real place to a real place in real time to people with real problems, so that they can learn and know about God. And there's this interesting story that we see kind of buried in Isaiah chapter 7. And it's the story of an Old Testament king that we talked about a few weeks ago, if you were here, named Ahaz. Now, if you weren't here, we were in a series called The Story. And we've pressed pause on it to try to kind of experience the Advent season uh, here, the, the Christmas season here. But a few weeks ago, we were in this part of that series where we're looking at the big story of God, how God worked in history and through history for his purposes. And we were in a mini-series, a mini part of that called The uh, Broken, where we looked at the nation of Israel, this this people of God, that that the nation kind of split and became two nations. And so I want to kind of just remind you of where we find ourselves geographically, because me, sometimes it helps seeing where things are at. And so we'll put this map here up on the screen. And I expect that everyone can read those perfectly, especially in the back row. But just in case you don't, um, the green section became, it used to be that the purple and the green were one nation. They were one people. But now the green na- section is the, the, called the Northern Kingdom, uh, and it's, uh, it's called Israel. And the Southern Kingdom is called Judah, and it's the purple section. Now, I know they look landmass-wise kind of equal, but in reality, the nation of Israel, the, the green part, is, uh, it's like the difference between like Los Angeles and like Podunk, Arkansas. 
Okay, like that's the kind of population difference, right? Like the, in Israel, the, north, the green part, the population is so dense and so thick. And then in the southern part in Judah, it's far, far less people. And so Ahaz is the king in the purple part. And he has a problem. He has a problem that the king of the green part and then the king of the brown part, which is, you know, sort of bigger, um, they are teaming up, it's tag team back again, uh, to, to come in and to destroy the purple part. So Ahaz is having a really great day. And so this is where we find ourselves in the midst of this story in Isaiah chapter 7. Um, and I promise, I promise, if you'll just hang with me, we'll get to how, what this has to do with Christmas. I mean, look, I have a Christmas sweater on. We're going to get there, Okay. Just, just hang tight, okay? So read along with me in Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And if you don't want to read in the Bible, you can look up on the screen. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. By the way, you're welcome for really doing a great job pronouncing all those words. Okay? Um, and reading them so you didn't have to. Marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, a ram has allied itself. A ram's the, the brown part, okay? A ram has allied itself with Ephraim, which is the main, city, the main tribe in the green part. So they've, they've come together, tag team. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. The hearts of the people in the, in the purple part were shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. No, I want to pause there, but keep your Bibles open because we're going to keep reading. Now, what God is doing is God is counseling Ahaz, the king, to put his emotions in check, right? It's like that moment when Kristen showed me the calendar and I was like, ah! and she's like, don't freak out. And, I, and it's like God is saying the exact same thing to Ahaz. Ahaz sees the, the, brown, the, the, the nation, uh, the brown part and the, and the green part. And he's like, ah! and God's like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. In fact, what he says is, be calm, be careful, and don't be afraid. In other words, don't do anything stupid, because everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And God goes on to say in verse 6, I know what's happening here. Look at how it says it in verse 6. It says, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. God says, I know what's happening. I'm not telling you to be calm and to keep your emotions in check and to not be afraid and to not do anything stupid because, you know, just like, just because I want to. He's saying, I know what's coming. I know that two nations that you have absolutely 100% zero ability to defend yourself are going to come and slaughter every man, woman, and child in your house. I know that's happening. Be calm. Be careful. Don't be afraid. 
And then God goes on, though, to say something even more profound. Uh, but before we get there, I want to give you the first thing uh, to write down. So I want to encourage you to grab your sermon notes page out of your bulletin uh, and take notes. I'm actually going to give you the second fill-in before the big idea. So the, so the second one down, and it's simply this, is that God can give you a new perspective on your circumstances. I want to give you the point, and then we'll see it in the text. God can give you a new perspective on your circumstances. <clears throat> and so when you're, when you're done uh, writing that down, jump back uh, to, your, to your Bible in chapter 7, verse 7. And by the way, we're going to see this word here twice today, and it's so important. And it is the word yet. Right? So God says, I know who's coming. I know what's happening. Yet. This is what the sovereign Lord says in verse 7. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim, which remember that's the biggest tribe and city, the main city in the green part, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, I want to stop there and say God gives Ahaz some perspective. He says, your enemies are not as tough as they look. I mean, the head of this place is only this guy, and his boss is only that guy. And the head of this place has this guy as the boss, and his boss is only that guy. Look at those two puny little humans. I'm God, and I'm here to pump you up. Okay, like, this is, God is like, I am God, and you're worried about these guys. Don't worry about these guys. They're nothing. They're grass and dust. Right? I want to try to think about this in our lives, right? God loves to give us a different perspective. You know, I, I grew up playing hockey. I love playing hockey. Um, and I love going to games. And since, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm just loaded with money, I always sat at the top. Um, and, uh, and you do whatever you can to try to get down as close to the ice as possible. But one time, I uh, had the opportunity to sit on the glass. And it was so cool. I was so excited. I was so pumped up. But then I learned something in that time. Sitting on the glass is not a very good perspective for the game because you cannot see one-third of the ice because the, 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 the glass blocks it. The, the, the walls block it. But if you sit up a few seats, you can see everything. It's fantastic. I made friends to get me those seats too. Don't worry about it. But, um, but so I sat at the glass and you think, oh, these are the most expensive seats. They've got to be the best. Truth is, they're not. That perspective's wrong. Or you think about it, right? I don't know how many of you have ever had a toddler or, or you've seen, you know, one of your siblings learning how to swim. And, uh, and when my son was learning how to swim, uh, when we were teaching him, when he was going to swim lessons, you know, he would, he would get so scared. And there's always this moment, right, when they start to get it and they're doing a pretty good job, but then all of a sudden they start thinking about it and they just go into panic mode. It goes from this, like, to like, You know, and I being the incredibly empathetic, compassionate dad that I am, recognized that my son was in the shallow end of the pool and said, son, stop. Stop freaking out. I can't. I'm going to drown. You're in the shallow end. Put your feet down. And then he like, he goes, 
Nobody saw that, right? You know, he's like trying to like save face. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm cool. But it's a new perspective. You know, uh, in this way, this is exactly what God does for Ahaz. He, he says, look, I, I get it. I see everything that's going on around you. But you got to trust me. It's going to be better. It's going to be okay. But there's a catch. See, God's, God's in, the, in the business of relationship. God's in the business of, if you'll trust me, I'll do what it is that I say I'm going to do. But if you choose your own way, then I'll, get, I'll let you do your own thing. I'll let, you, I'll let you have your own way. And so God says to Ahaz, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Now remember, if you're new to church or you're new to this word faith, it simply is a synonym. It means trust. So either you will trust me in my way, God says to Ahaz, or you'll fall just like the cities of Ephraim and Aram. And, you know, basically here's what God is saying. If you want to sit on the glass and pay all that money, that's fine. You just missed 33% of the game. If, if, if you don't put your feet down in the shallow end and you continue to paddle and take in water in your lungs, yeah, you're probably going to die. Or you could just put your feet down. If, if you want to do life in your own way, your own plans, if you want to do this, this terrible catastrophe, this terrible circumstance that you're, in the, that you're up against, Ahaz, your way, then yeah, it's not going to work. But if you trust me, it'll work. God says, I see your circumstances and I give you a choice. Faith, trust, or fear, anxiety, gossip, hatred, division. All the things that go along with your plan. God says, if you listen to me, if you trust me, I will make sure you're okay. And to build Ahaz's faith up even more, God makes this amazing statement in verse uh, 10. We read, so continue with me in uh, chapter 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now I want to pause there. Because in this moment, it sounds like Ahaz is being very religious, very righteous, very godly, like twist his mustache godly, you know, like super like, I will not put God to the test. It's kind of like maybe maybe for those of you who, you know, read the scriptures more, you remember Jesus even saying in the desert, you know, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But this isn't a man asking Ahaz to test God. This isn't like Jesus where the enemy is saying, test your father. This is God saying, do it. I'll give you whatever you want. Trust me. I'll show you. And so, you know, Ahaz's response isn't faith. It's not like, oh, well, I'm, I don't even need a sign, God. I trust you. No, it's fear. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of faith. And because, and I'm sure none of us ever do this, but by the time God comes to tell us how he's going to do it, Ahaz has already made up 15 different plans of how he'll accomplish it himself. I'm sure none of us ever do that with God. None of us ever make up our own plans. None of us ever figure out our own ways and then say, God, hey, can you just rubber stamp this for me? Can you just tell me approved? That'd be great. But just in case any of us do struggle with this, we'll keep going. See, I, I don't know about you, but for me, there are times where I think, 
you know, I don't, it's not a big deal. I don't need to pray about this. And behind that ultimately is this root. I think that because I'm, I'm a capable person, I'm, I'm a pretty capable person. I, I know a lot about computers. I know how to play different instruments. I do woodworking. I'm a cook. I love to clean. I, I have a good job. Like I, I build up this portfolio in my head and somehow convince myself that because I'm capable, I don't really need God's help on this one. And yet God says, why would you not? Why would you not want it? Ahaz's response isn't faith. It's faith in his own plan. And I know you're probably wondering at this point, what does any of this have to do with Christmas? I said, hold on, we'll get there, okay? Stop yelling at me. Um, Just kidding. And so in chapter 7, verse 13, Isaiah is sort of kind of upset with Ahaz at this point, and he responds. So come along with me in verse 13. Then Ahaz said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. See, Isaiah ultimately says to uh, Ahaz, fine, you don't want to listen to God? God's just going to give you a sign anyway. You don't want to ask God? He's just going to do it anyways because he's God. So, and what he says is ultimately, he's not, he's not trying to slam him and say, you know, you're an idiot. He's trying to say, how could you not want the sign that God's going to give you? The sign that, that God's going to give you is going to change everything. It's going to make your whole existence different. It's going to make it so much different. And so God's sign to a stressed out king who's about to be invaded literally from 270 degrees around his country is simply this, Emmanuel. The word means God with us. God with us. In the midst of this, notice what God doesn't do. God doesn't say to Ahaz, hey, I got this super sweet battle plan. It's going to change everything. You're going to totally just destroy those kings. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to make everything sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows. He doesn't say, hey, everything's going to be great from now on. Don't worry, I got it. In fact, God says nothing about his circumstances. God doesn't do anything from an earthly perspective, for the circumstance. It doesn't change the fact that he's going to get invaded. What he does is he says, you are not seeing the big picture. God is with you. And then he says something crazy. He's like, besides, before this kid even goes into middle school, these kings are going to be dust. You're so afraid of them, they're just going to be nothing. They're going to be a forgotten memory. No one's even going to think about them. And Ahaz doesn't believe, ultimately. He, he, he didn't have faith that God was really going to overcome those two, those two enemies. 
He didn't have faith when God told him, there is nothing to worry about in your circumstance. I mean, get this all in perspective. God is with you, Ahaz. What more do you need? And this ultimately leads us to the big idea, the idea that's framing and shaping everything that we're talking about and that we're going to continue to talk about. And it's that first fill-in on your outlines there. And it's this, that you can't always change your situation, but Emmanuel helps you change your perspective on the situation. You can't always change your situation, but Emmanuel helps you change your perspective on the situation. Ahaz could not just power, you know, power of positive thinking. He could not just positively think the kings that are coming to slaughter every man, woman, and child out of existence. Like, those guys are going to be my buddies. No, he couldn't just, it's going to be okay. You know, how do you know? I don't know. He couldn't, he couldn't change the situation. And God says, I'm not going to change the situation. I'm going to tell you how the situation has already changed. The perspective. God is with us. God offers a perspective shift that we can live in faith, trust, not fear or doubt or self-doubt or hatred or self-hatred or envy or gossip or slander, or any of these things. God says, no, 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 we don't need to respond in fear to our circumstances. We don't need to have the ah moment. Because God is with us. 700 years later, in the midst of a time where everyone is wondering, but didn't God say he was going to change it? Didn't Emmanuel... It wasn't Emmanuel supposed to come. How long? How long do we have to be in this? How long do we have to wait? 700 years later, the promise of God is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. Rome has occupied the land that we were looking at. 400 years have gone by, and it's called the silent years. Uh, What it means is that there was never any person delivering messages from God to the people called prophets. There was never any messages from God for the people for 400 years. And then, the first Christmas, Emmanuel shows up. You see, I want to invite you to turn with me um, in your Bibles, about 300 pages forward in the Bibles in the racks in front of you, um, to Matthew chapter 1. Because we see the connection of this overarching story of God. In Matthew 18, or 118, we're going to read that verse and then skip over to verse 22. In Matthew 118, it says something super simple and profound and life-changing and eternity-changing. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And skipping down to verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. 700 years later, Matthew quotes Isaiah verbatim. Only this withness that the people were expecting takes on a totally different dimension. See, what the people were expecting was a political ruler who would come and and he would take over the land and he would give them their land back and then he would be around them, but then he would only be around them for a lifetime and then he would leave. But this is totally different. God says, you are thinking, you are seeing this little bit of your circumstance, not this huge thing, because this witness isn't just about me being around you. It's about me being in you and through you with power and presence and love and mercy and kindness and graciousness. It's about me being Emmanuel within you. God within you. See, my hope and my prayer is that you would this season choose, no matter what circumstance you are facing, no matter what thing you are seeing, no matter what thing you are dealing with, that you would see this manger and you would stop thinking about Christmas plays. And you would start thinking about the God of the universe who, the fancy church word is the word incarnation, that God took on flesh. And if you ever wonder why is it called that, it's really simple. Think of it this way. Incarnation. Carne, asada, okay? In meat, okay? God in carne, that's it. That's where the word comes from. God in flesh. God took on skin and bones and moved into the neighborhood so that you and I could have the power of sin and darkness and despair and grief and and everything, every sin defeated. Stop thinking of Christmas plays in cute clothes. Start thinking of a crying, cold baby who comes to take the sin of the world away and destroy death forever. This is God with you. This changes everything. And this is the next fill-in, that God is with us in our circumstances. God is with us in our circumstances. Emmanuel, God with us, means that every situation we come to, we have the same choice as Ahaz did. Choose to stand firm in trust for my way or you will fall. It's the same choice. Do life with me and you will stand. Do life your way and you will fall again and again and there will be pain and chaos and disorder strife no situation is ever the same if you believe that God is truly with you and I, and I, I mean that in a very literal sense because um, I don't know if you've ever thought about the nature of belief but belief changes reality belief, your beliefs change how you do life and if you're thinking I don't, I don't think that's true let me prove it to you um, I'm sure all of you believe uh, that, getting, that, that putting your hand um, in a really hot fire is bad for you. Okay, I'm sure all of you believe that. So how many of you regularly, as often as humanly possible, stick your hand in the fire? None of you do. Okay, I'm sure all of you believe that if you step out in front of a very fast, large moving vehicle, things will go badly for you. And so what do you do? You wait for the crosswalk sign. Okay? 
the sign is on. Oh, sweet. Yeah, okay. Okay, you're, you're ready to go. You're moving. You're not stepping out. Why? So I want to ask you this question. Do you believe, not that God is with us. He is. He's absolutely with us. Do you believe deep in your bones that God is with you? In every moment, in every situation, in every pain, in every joy, in every heartache, in every victory. And, and if you're wondering, I don't even know how to answer that question or yes or no or whatever, I, I want to ask you this. Um, if your beliefs change your reality, does your reactions to those situations show that you have the almighty, all-powerful God with you? Or do they show that you are filled with fear and doubt? Do you face them we're human, right? We have reactions and responses. But at the end of those reactions and responses, do we say, God's with me and I'll be okay? Or do we give ourselves over to despair? Because if we do, I want to challenge you to say that maybe you're not living out of that belief that God is with you. I want to challenge you to do that this morning. See, John 12, or excuse me, John 1, you don't have to turn there or throw it up here on the screen, says it this way, that, that Jesus came to that which was his own, meaning his own people, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not slaves to rules, not moral people. Not positive thinkers. Children. With a father. Who will never, ever, ever. Not be with us. Who will always be for us. And the simple question, and yet it has profound implications on however you answer it. And this is my challenge for you today and the last thing I want you to write down. Will you receive him? Will you receive him? Will you receive the truth that Emmanuel is God with you and no matter what situation you are in, allow the manger and the God within it to reorient your perspective, to shift your thoughts away from fear and doubt and disbelief and towards trust. Because like I said, Christmas should never be about just God with us. It should always be about God with me. God with you. Each and every one of us. God came to us because you and I were meant to know him and to be known by him. We were meant to love him and to be loved by him. And so the question I have for you this morning is, is very simple and I think very challenging at the same time. Will you receive his way? Because to receive him is to receive his way. It's to say, not my way, but your way.
Many of us feel the weight of the burdens of life because we go through them by ourselves or with the perspective that we only have our friends or our family. But God simply says this to you and we bring come full circle. When the roof of the metrodome of your life is caving in, I am with you. See me. Will you receive that today? Will you truly take that in? Because what I want to do is I want to give you an extended period of time of reflection because I think this question is something that we can say yes to but not really give it enough thought. So it's going to be a longer time of silence, which I know is sometimes uncomfortable. And so what I want to give you is a question to think about. God, can you show me if I'm living in trust or in fear? Can you show me if I live as though you're with me? Or if I live as though you're with me until I need to figure it out on my own? I'm going to pray for you for your time and then give you some time. God, Emmanuel, you are with us. And as we sit and reflect, I would pray for each and every one of us that we would have eyes that see and ears that hear what you would speak to us in this time. As we think about whether or not we do life with you on your terms, in your way, or if we do life with you in our terms, in our way. Would you give us enough graciousness to be honest with you and with ourselves and enough boldness to choose to be honest with you? Go now and reflect.